right. All right. Well, Alan is here with me today to discuss various things. Uh, just before I turn this on, the Supreme Court did nullify Roe versus Wade, apparently largely in accordance with that draft ruling that came out, still including the uh, ridiculous claim that Roe versus Wade is not mentioned in the Constitution, that abortion is not mentioned in the Constitution. So that's where we're at. Anyway, um, in San Francisco, there's an article uh, saying downtown San Francisco is on the brink which reminded me of the stuff we were discussing last time, but I thought this one made sense. It's in the San Francisco Chronicle. And its point is that um, most of the downtown businesses rely upon an endless flood of thousands of workers going into work every day. And that is just not going to happen anymore. Uh, it seems like people are going to spend half time in the office or even much less. So many of the businesses are closing. The few that are surviving or say they're going broke, hoping that people will come back, but the people are just probably not coming back. And that's going to affect uh, all the businesses downtown. And it's also going to affect the tax base of the city. As just the uh, San Francisco population used to go from like uh, less than a million to three million for the number of people that commuted in and out every day. And that's just not going to happen again, I think. Most uh, tech companies, which is mostly what we have here, are just going remote completely. So that's an issue. And um, there's issued people and one proposal, which seems logical, is to convert all those unused office buildings into housing. We'll see if there's any actual motion to do that, but that would be probably a better use for them. And uh, another one I had here I thought was interesting was DeSantis's Stop Woke Act. He already had the one that its opponents called Don't Say Gay, and now he's got a bigger one, Stop Woke, in Florida, which uh, limits what teachers are allowed to say in school a lot. They can't have any diversity training. They can't say anything that he would call um, critical race theory anything, and uh, many other things. And the point is that everybody, and it has an interesting argument. The people complaining about this are claiming it is violating their First Amendment freedom, but the DeSantis administration has claimed that that does not apply because school teachers teach from a curriculum approved by the state, and that makes it government speech, not individual speech. So that would mean all schools are basically organs of the government and their speech is controlled by the government. And so the Supreme Court probably will be ruling on that. And I think uh, we can pretty clearly see what side they're on of everything these days. But anyway, um, those are the two I had. And Alan has the one that I thought was the title today, Hacker's Revenge. This is a great story. It is a great story. Um, the New York, the New Yorker magazine is probably doing the best long form cybersecurity journalism right now. A couple of months ago, we talked about an article by Ronan Farrow um, on the NSO group and the Spanish government spying on its own lawmakers. And now there's a story by Patrick Rad Radden Keefe about a CIA employee who went rogue while an employee and was responsible for the Vault 7 leak, which was leaked on WikiLeaks back in 2017, got some attention, but not perhaps not as much attention as it deserved. And so this story here in the New Yorker chronicles um, one Joshua Schulte, the CIA worker who is accused of having leaked the material to the uh, to WikiLeaks, and it is quite a story. Uh, first of all, the guy's a real piece of work, and uh, 
there are a number of interviews with sources who worked with him at the CIA. And uh, if the accounts are to be believed, and, and mind you, uh, he has not, Schulte has not been convicted of anything as of yet. Um, if these accounts of Schulte are to be believed, he was really not cut out for work in intelligence, especially the CIA, where he was dealing with extremely sensitive materials, including all these tools that were leaked in the Vault 7 leak that the CIA was using to spy on targets around the world. Um, these tools, by and large, were uh, required direct access, physical access to devices in order to be implanted. Um, devices like mobile phones, uh, TVs, smart TVs, and the like. And so the fact that these tools got leaked in such a public uh, manner almost certainly means that people, assets who planted these, uh, planted the malware onto devices were probably identified because only a few people would have access to the prime minister's television, for example. You know. Boy, I'm surprised they had that limitation. I mean, the, uh, the other stuff would install remotely if it's an SMS or something. Yeah, yeah, but I, you know, the CIA must have so many tools that um, well, they can afford to develop this stuff. And it wasn't a large team, apparently, that was working on, on this set of tools. It was a small team of which Schulte was an important part. Um, apparently he developed some tools and was a very competent developer himself, but as a personality, he was a total wild card and right. um, quite destructive even, to the point that there was an on ongoing feud between him and another CIA employee, which sounded really uh, juvenile actually. Um, and uh, Schulte escalated the case again and again and has been threatening to file, and in fact did file suit against the CIA uh, about workplace discrimination or something like that, uh, just because he's, a, he's an asshole, essentially, and he's trying to stir up stuff. <laughs> and a lot of weird sexual stuff, too. I mean, well, and that's where things get really even more disturbing. I mean, as bad as it was with the CIA and the fact that he probably leaked this material to the Wiki, WikiLeaks, of course, this case is ongoing. Um, when he was, uh, when his apartment was searched, his electronic devices were seized and his computers were also seized. The investigators found not only some evidence that perhaps he had been engaged in the leaking, but also tens of thousands of images and videos of child sexual exploitation. And this is really disturbing stuff. And um, it's, uh, there are some, also some uh, logs of chat logs of uh, him talking to other people in the world of uh, uh, child sexual exploitation material. So there, there is strong evidence there that he's, he, you know, he was involved in that. He certainly possessed it. And then, as if that isn't enough, there were also photographs that um, uh, uh, indicated that he had sexually assaulted his roommate while in Washington, D.C. Yeah. So what became an investigation into just one crime or set of crimes turned into an investigation of three and uh, Schulte's already gone to trial on the CIA hacking charges. That trial ended in a mistrial. 
Um, apparently he had very effective defense, but he has not even been uh, taken to trial for the uh, possession of the child sexual abuse images uh, or nor the uh, sexual assault of his roommate. So he's been in prison or in jail since 2017, um, awaiting trial for all of these different charges. Well, the child sexual abuse stuff is the punishment is severe. I mean, that's enough to keep him in for decades, I think. Uh, I should think so. Yes. So, um, you know, even if these uh, charges of hacking the CIA don't uh, fall through or do fall through, um, he's still looking at uh, perhaps spending the rest of his life in prison. And apparently there was a well-known pattern of, of aberrant and criminal sexual behavior in your schools and stuff. That's why one thing that what worries me is where's the vetting? I mean, if you smoke pot, you can't work for the CIA and they're supposed to go through a background check. And why didn't they pick up any of this stuff before giving yeah. them top secret clearance? Right, right. And um, this guy also had terrible OPSEC. You know, like he, he was not at all discreet with his uh, postings to these uh, these child sexual abuse boards. So um, shouldn't have been that hard for them to pick it up. You would think so for all the resources that the CIA has, you would think they would pick up on this. And he also interned at the NSA. So um, it it really says a lot about the the culture of the CIA in in that it was so juvenile, uh, but also that their, their internal security was so poor that uh, first of all, they hired this guy who was clearly not fit for the work, um, but also that they, their monitoring was so p- poor. Like, where's the data loss prevention in all of this? Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised. It's after Snowden, they supposedly greatly ramped up the investigation of everybody, making them do polygraphs and spying on their life to make sure they weren't suspicious. And apparently none of that really worked. Yeah, they did do some polygraphs on him, but he passed. I guess they have a really low, uh, low bar these days. Um, the pay is not good, apparently. After quitting the CIA, he took a job, I think it was at Bloomberg yeah. on Wall Street, where he was getting paid about $200,000 a year, yeah. which is good money, it must be said. But apparently this was a huge bump up in his compensation. He was very happy about that. So I wonder if they don't just have to pay more to get better talent, and then they have to vet the talent better at the CIA. And we're not talking about dozens or hundreds of employees. This was a very small team. Yeah, yeah. But they certainly need to screen their people better. Yes, yes. And I think that's the biggest takeaway from this. Yeah, you may not need to pay them more because there's a lot of patriotism that motivates them, but you certainly need to screen them better. Yeah. Anyway, I got a couple more here. So I thought this was very hopeful. Um, As you know, the Supreme Court has passed another rule um, so that New York City can't ban guns the way they have, and California is not going to be able to either. Um, But one thing I really like is rather than trying to fix a broken system like our current Supreme Court, you could um, just hack them. And that's what Maine did. I really love this this solution to problems. What Maine does is they pass laws. Ah, good. Hey, Caitlin's here. Hey, what Maine does is they pass laws to um, that will work even despite the Supreme Court's limitation. So they, and there are a lot of ways to do this. Um, What they did, the the Supreme Court said, you have to let religious schools get public funding. So Maine just passed a law that any school that gets public funding, including religious schools, cannot discriminate on race or sex or sexuality. And that gets to the point 
a bunch of the religious schools, that's the reason you didn't want to fund them, because they were going to discriminate against the LGBTQ people. And now they have to choose to either not take the money or stop discriminating. And there's other tricks, like if you want to not stop people from getting guns, you don't have to ban guns. You could just make them buy insurance if they have a gun and charge for that. And there's another bill been approached to just impose a 1,000% tax on assault weapons since you can't ban them entirely, but you do have the right to tax them. So I highly encourage this, it's, especially since it's clear that for the remainder of my lifetime, the Supreme Court is going to be a far-right, hostile institution passing extreme far-right stuff, then I highly recommend that the states just hack around it and find ways to prevent the worst damage since it's not going to be possible to change their rulings for any time soon. Anyway, that's how I solve everything. And uh, are you ready to do some of yours, Caitlin? Absolutely. All right. Always. Why don't you, why don't you do your first two then? Sure. Um, why don't we take a look at uh, Neiman Lab? Mm -hmm. Oh, nice little pop up there. Uh, talking about the differences between generations and how they get news and so there were some studies done and, and like I, I should also point out this article is written by Kristen Eddy so there were some studies done about how younger people view and get their news and you may be thinking oh this is going to be really dire but actually it's not uh, so there's some good news and some bad news uh, so the good news is that younger people are not prone to like a single news source. Uh, like one of the big issues that I've seen with older generations is that they will get their news from one source. And, you know, that source is usually very biased or sometimes very biased and, um, you know, shapes their views. But younger people tend to use news aggregators. So they'll get news from lots of different sources um, and I do that myself too. I, I go on news aggregators. I see, you know, what's, what's popping up. Um, and they're also very good at not falling for the both sidesism fallacy. So there used to be this idea that news should be just completely impartial um, and just let the facts speak for themselves. Um, and this is a problem uh, because it can be very much abused by bad parties uh, to create, you know, wedge issues. So you could say things like, well, you know, the news isn't going to take a position about whether or not the earth is flat. Uh, so we'll give, you know, equal time to flat earthers and scientists. Well, of course, that's silly. And it's a not a good way to present the news and people who and younger generations feel that people who write the news should have informed decisions and let those informed decisions play out in their writing. Um, but of course, there's some downsides too. Younger people are less interested in the news. Um, and there's also an uptick of young people getting news from non-credible news sources. Uh, so things like social media posts, TikTok. They're not, they're not getting reliable stuff like the adults in America are. Well, the adults apparently are, are, are not getting reliable stuff from quote-unquote reputable sources so you have you know adults tuning into newsmax you know what, what number uh, one news source in america is fox news or fox news um but uh younger people 
and 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 there is a, a big issue with with older people getting news from from um social media too but that's that's also happening with younger people as well so yeah so are the kids less informed than the adults or not less informed oh that would be expected and much less likely to vote less likely to vote less informed uh but the but I mean, hopefully, I mean, this is always the case. The younger people are less interested in the news, but it seems like they are better prepared uh, for later on when they start to get prepared, start to get into the news to, you know, handle the current landscape because there are just too many people that, especially older people, that cannot handle the current landscape. They just think any news source with a person behind a desk must be trustworthy. We must listen to them because, yep. that, you know, growing up, you know, that was what was on TV. That was well, that's, why, that's why they pay for commercials for some guy to put on a white lab coat. And now he's a medical authority. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's 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 it, it's ridiculously effective, <laughs> um, but younger people aren't falling for that. And they're also uh, very much wanting the news to be more honest and, and not fall for some of the tricks that I've seen. Um, news fall into before. Like I said, they, they younger people don't like the impartialness of of both sidesism. Yep. And why don't you tell us why the satellites are falling down? Yeah, no, we got some space weather going on. Uh, so there's an article on space.com uh, talking about wild solar weather. Basically what's happening is that solar weather, which is particles streaming from the sun. And I saw some mention this was published by Teresa uh, Poltrova. Uh, so these charged particles from the sun are hitting Earth's atmosphere. Earth's atmosphere is then expanding outwards a bit, and it's causing spacecraft to drag on the atmosphere and fall back to Earth 10 times faster than they normally do. So if you put up a satellite and you expect it to be up there for 10 years um, before it gets dragged down um, with the increased solar uh, solar wind, uh, it will cause the spacecraft to fall down after one year instead, which is a big problem. So things are falling from the sky. The sky is falling. It, I wonder if we could somehow, you know, I, I don't suppose we could use this to clean up the space junk. We could somehow, I think if we'd put any air up there, it would just stay up there forever too, right? Um, well, I mean, it depends how far you put it up there. Right. Um, this is only going to get low orbit space junk that would have decayed before too long anyway, right? Right. Uh, so, I mean, it, if, if it, so the, the solar activity is going to affect the upper atmosphere of, of Earth. Right. Um, so anything that's, that's very low Earth orbit, that's actually really good for cleaning it up. Right, like if there's debris in low Earth orbit, that'll help clean things up. Uh, the problem is not all debris in space junk is in low Earth orbit. Right, that's the problem. Yep. All right, fair enough. And then Alan has uh, bad words to say about the esteemed trickle down theory. Now, are you questioning Ronald Reagan? Ronald Reagan, yes, and his trickle down economics. Uh, it was such a fixture of the 1980s, like taxes are bad. We're going to get rid of government and we're going to cut taxes so that the rich can get richer. 
And by doing so, their wealth will trickle down and enrich the middle class. The American way. And it's the American way. And it actually is very much the American way it returns us to like the robber barons of the past. But this was a big deal in the 1980s. And it still suffuses economic thought of today. And, um, well, some economists have taken issue with this, uh, namely Thomas Piketty, who was responsible for capital in the 21st century, or the 20th century, uh, which was a, a bestseller about 10 years ago, possibly the best-selling economics books and uh, book in a number of years, along with three other co-authors, have undertaken a very comprehensive study of wealth and wealth inequality globally in the contemporary world. In his book, Piketty was looking at um, mostly European and specifically French uh, economic history and was looking at wealth distribution. Um, and, but he didn't really look so much at the contemporary, the contemporary economic situation globally. Well, that's exactly what he's done here in this study. And it's a very dense, very complete, very extensive survey and study of wealth and wealth distribution around the world. And it's not a good picture at all. It, it's very clear that there's so much inequality in wealth distribution. 10% uh, of the global population has over half, 52% of global income. And whereas the poorest half, bottom half of the world population has only eight. 0.5% of global income. So it's a really very severe disparity between the top and the bottom, the haves and the have-nots. And if trickle-down economic theory were valid, then we should see more and more wealth going to the bottom half. And what the authors have done here is they've actually crunched the numbers and they've looked at trends in that income distribution and they found that that hasn't happened that trickle-down economics doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. It's not true. It's not a real phenomenon. It's, um, it's an ideology. It's a, it was a persuasive one in the US in the 1980s, but it didn't work in the US and it's not working in the world. And yeah, I no. go into a lot more detail, of course, but that's, that's really the substance of it right there. But inequality has actually gotten much worse in the last few decades in America, right? That's the study I've seen most, yeah. Yes, that, that's absolutely true. It has gotten noticeably worse in the US. And uh, um, part, of the, part of the dynamic is of course, the offshoring of manufacturing jobs, which tend to be higher paying than service jobs. Um, part of it's also that living expenses have gone up quite a lot, even before this uh, inflation that we're seeing right now, living expenses in particular uh, rents for housing, for example, uh, has gone up and the return on capital has gotten worse. So in 1950, if you had say a spare million dollars lying around, you could very profitably invest that money uh, into some innovative uh, factory, for example, some kind of new type of product or manufacturing process that could return an excellent, uh, uh, excellent money on your investment. Interestingly, today what's happening is despite all the hype about so-called innovative companies like Facebook and Netflix and Tesla, or worse, DeFi, Bitcoin and crypto, um, there's much less innovation happening 
and there's much weaker return on capital. So if you've got million million dollars right now, um, there are fewer opportunities for you to profitably invest that money than say 70 years ago. And so this has really brought about a lot of what's called in the economics biz, rent-seeking behavior. And rent-seeking behavior can take many different forms, but one of the most explicit forms is just rent, as in renting housing to people. That is one form of rent seeking. And um, the returns on that just aren't very good. So we're, we're coming into this situation where uh, money was cheap, but now it's expensive. And this has huge impacts on rent seeking behavior, first of all, uh, but also on the economic prospects and employment prospects of people who were never very wealthy to begin with. And it's not a good situation. It's not, not a very stable economic situation. Yeah, everybody has gloomy economic projections for the next couple of years. Yeah, so stagflation is not going to be a good time. Yeah, We're going to go back to the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. All right. And uh, Caitlin, I'd like to hear about uh, the global impact of COVID vaccination. I would love to tell you about that. Um, but first, I need to talk about something else. Oh. Um, so as of an hour ago. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this needs to be mentioned again. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the Supreme Court actually did it. They uh, yeah. banned Roe v. Wade. Anyway. And it looks like they went pretty much according to the draft one we saw. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So Roe v. Wade is no longer the law of the land. Yeah. Um, uh, court precedent means nothing anymore. Um, and are about most, I feel like most of the country no longer has faith in the Supreme Court to be an impartial. They don't. Uh, judge. There's been a survey uh, showing yeah. that it's the lowest it's been in like 50 years. Trust yeah. in the Supreme Court. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about, um, about COVID. Uh, happier topic than Roe v. Wade at the moment. Um, so there was a study done uh, by the Lancet, um, and it's it, the article is called The Global Impact of the First Year of COVID-19 Vaccination, colon, a Mathematical Modeling Study. <laughs> Exciting stuff. It's uh, by Oliver J. Watson, Gregory uh, Bransley, uh, Jasper Tor, Alexandria Hogan, Peter uh, Winskill, Professor Azra Ghani, um, and it was just published a few days ago. And so the question is, how effective were the COVID-19 vaccinations in saving lives? And this, um, um, yeah, and this article has a discrete number. In the past two years, since the vaccine has been distributed, the vaccine has saved 20 million lives, which is no small change. Um, so that is canceled off YouTube again with saying statements like that. We, we have the source. We have the source. Um, uh, and in fact, I'll, I'll, go back, I'll go back to the oh, yeah, yeah. findings here. So yeah. findings based on the official COVID-19 deaths, we estimated vaccines prevented 14.4 million um, uh, in between 2021. The estimate rose to about 20 million um, yeah. during since. So yeah, and it's about 20 million, 20 million people have been saved. Yeah. But you know, this is how you get canceled on YouTube is by quoting authoritative stuff with a real source. Anyway. 
That's true. Um, also, I should point out that um, uh, that Joe Biden is not the real president. Well, there you uh, go. Yes, yes, yes. The, the, the real president um, is actually Kamala Harris. Uh, she was the one running for president. Uh, Joe Biden just stole the stole the election. So just well, there you go. Put that out there for that'll get us back. All right. Well, um, <laughs> I think I'm going to end it there because I have to go teach COBOL. So that's it for this one. And we'll be back on Tuesday. Have fun with COBOL, Sam. Bye. Thank you.